Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Welcome to Sup Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What is up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning into the very first Submedia Reviews episode of 2024. I'm your host, Kiara, and to finish off the holiday season, I'm going to be reviewing the 2003 film Elf. The movie features Will Ferrell as Buddy, James Caan as Walter Hobbs, Bob Newport as Papa Elf, and Zoe Deschanel as Jovi. Back in November, Elf celebrated its 20th anniversary, so I thought it would be cool to revisit this film. Here are a few fun facts about the movie. The scene where Buddy eats different candies and pastries with the spaghetti noodles had to be shot twice because Will Ferrell vomited the first time. Will Ferrell suffered from headaches and insomnia throughout filming as he had to actually eat all the sugary food in the Elf food pyramid on camera. The second fun fact is that the elf Ming Ming, who appears briefly in the beginning of the film, is actually played by Peter Billingsley, who starred as Ralphie Parker in the classic holiday film A Christmas Story from 1983. So if you go back to the movie and watch early on, there is like an elf manager kind of and his name is Ming Ming. And he is the little kid from A Christmas Story. It's actually kind of cute. Okay. And the last fun fact is that Wanda Sykes was originally slated to play the Gimbal's manager, but backed out at the last minute. She was replaced by Faison Love, who insisted on still wearing the name tag made for Sykes, which is why his tag inexplicably reads Wanda. I wonder how many people picked up on this and don't know this trivia. (laughs) But if you want to check out Elf, you can watch it on Hulu, Max, or Paramount Plus as of the recording of this episode. Now, this is the part where we talk about my personal connection. And this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but I don't really have much of a personal connection to this film. I've actually only seen it once prior to watching it for this review. This is one of the movies that my dad's side of the family and my siblings on that side really like, and they reference it a lot, but I've never really watched it on my own time. I do remember watching it with them and feeling like the movie kind of lived up to its hype, but I can acknowledge that it's like one of the movies that is a newer kind of Christmas classic. When I think of Christmas classics, I'm thinking of movies typically that are like 30 years old and older. Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Story, Preacher's Wife even. Like these older movies that are just in the like Christmas zeitgeist, right? And Elf is one of the newer movies, again, just turned 20 years old back in November that happened to kind of cross over into this like classic slash icon territory. Another one of the ones that is like a little bit newer is 
the Grinch where Jim Carrey plays, you know, the title character. So I think that that's really cool. And I'm kind of excited to dive into this movie, given that I hadn't watched it in years and I'm basically watching it with fresh eyes. So let's chat. So the movie opens with Papa Elf, played by Bob Newhart, talking about elves and the possible jobs that they can have. But the most coveted job, of course, is working in Santa's workshop. And he starts talking about how this story that he's going to be telling us started 30 years ago when the first human came to Santa's workshop. And so the credits are kind of rolling at this time and they're in this like Christmas themed picture book. And the animation is cute and it's kind of reminiscent of those pop popular like claymation cartoons like uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman that get televised a lot around Christmas time. I actually find those cartoons to be a little bit creepy just the the animation or something about the animation is just a little a little creepy for me <laughs> like personally. But anyways, when we get back to this story, we see a nun in an orphanage with a small male child. He is an infant, but can crawl around pretty good. So maybe 10 months. I don't know. I don't know childhood development. I don't know when babies start crawling. But anyways, he climbs out of his crib and into Santa's sack because Santa came down the chimney in the orphanage nursery. And so Santa was enjoying some cookies, but then the boy child saw a teddy bear in the sack and climbed into the sack unbeknownst to Santa. So when Santa gets back to his workshop at the North Pole after a successful Christmas run, he discovers that the baby is in the sack. But before we move on with the story, this is kind of where I started to notice the effects, right? So like the elves in this movie are technically played by regular sized people and Santa is made to look much bigger than them. And later on, as Buddy gets older because he is human. He is also made to look much bigger than them. And I feel like this was a good choice. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that because I have some feelings about it and I don't really know how to express them. So all I'm going to say is that it's a good choice that they decided to use effects to mimic the size differences between elves and humans. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> so let's move on. Okay. I also want to say that the effects actually look okay. They're not awful given the time period. But like I said, they find the baby crawling out of the Santa sack and they realize that he came from the orphanage and his diaper brand was called Little Buddy Diapers. So they assume that his name is Buddy. So one of the older elves in the workshop named Papa Elf becomes Buddy's adoptive father since Papa Elf was too concerned with his career to settle down and always wanted a child. So he raises him as his own and that comes with some difficulties. But why? Why didn't Santa take the kid back? Did he think that a human child being raised in the workshop was better than the child stay in the orphanage? I don't know. They don't really explain why they decide to keep the baby as opposed to taking him back to the human world. <laughs> Whatever, okay, y'all, whatever. 
So like I said, because Buddy was human, he grew really quickly. He grew to like two and a half times the size of the elves. And he was basically kind of like their Clifford the Big Red Dog, okay? And kind of got into trouble because of his size and like just really didn't fit into their world. He still had like the whole Christmas spirit thing that the elves had, but a lot of things just weren't made for him. (laughs) And we see that quite a bit in like these opening scenes where we learn more about him. So Buddy grows up in the North Pole and he eventually gets old enough to be Papa Elf's apprentice. And so on the first day of his apprenticeship, we learn that because the Christmas spirit has been dwindling over the years, in the 1960s, Papa Elf invented a, I don't remember what he called it, but it's an engine. It's an engine that he attaches to Santa's sleigh to help thrust it into the air and help it fly because the Christmas spirit is dwindling because parents are claiming the credit for Santa's, (laughs) for Santa's gifts. So we see that they use something called a clausometer to gauge like the amount of Christmas spirit that is going on and that could potentially give energy to the sleigh. So right now they are in a Christmas spirit energy crisis, which is kind of funny. But like I said, Papa Elf designed it and he taught Buddy how to repair it in preparation for Christmas. So like I said, we see that Buddy has like a few drawbacks to being a human in a world where, you know, the space is designed for elves. He couldn't make toys as fast as everyone else. Ming Ming, again, who was kind of like the elf floor manager and the guy who played Ralphie in A Christmas Story, is trying to lift Buddy's spirits because Buddy just doesn't have what it takes to like make the quota of what you're supposed to do as an elf to like push out these toys. Like he's not making them quickly enough. Elves, I guess, are like specifically made to like make toys fast or something. Um, but he's really down on himself. He calls himself a cotton-headed ninny muggins, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And the other elves try to boost his confidence by telling him what he's good at. And none of these things are really substantive things. It's more like you always reach up there and like change the batteries in the smoke detector every six months. And we, we love you for that. But he just realizes that he does not really fit in, that he doesn't have the same abilities as some of the elves do. You know, he's too big for the space. He just knows that this is not really his world, but this is all he knows. But eventually, Buddy overhears from some of the other elves that he's actually human. So his whole viewpoint of what his life was or was supposed to be is just totally like gone. And he's having a really hard time, okay? And we see like basically his 30, this man is 30, Jesus, this 30 year old man, we see montages of his life as he's living in an elf world. Okay. And we see all the ways that he has not fit in. And then we see him faint and then run off to a house that's way too small for him, which apparently is the house he grew up in. And Papa Elf finally tells Buddy his true family history. Buddy's dad fell in love with the lady who ended up giving Buddy up to an orphanage. And then she later died. And his father never knew who he existed. And his father works <laughs> in the Empire State Building in New York City. And so Buddy runs outside where he has a conversation with like a 
cartoon claymation snowman named Leon who's dressed like a pimp or like a southern gentleman. I don't understand what he's wearing. But Leon tells him like it might be a great chance to find out who you are if you go and like discover New York City and meet your dad and blah blah blah. So he decides I'm gonna go to New York City, discover who I really am. So Santa starts to give him the lowdown on New York City. But most importantly, he finds out that his father is on the naughty list. His father's name is Walter Hobbs. And we flip quickly to a scene where Walter is taking books from kids in orphanage. So Buddy is kind of heartbroken and distraught by the fact that his father's on the naughty list, but he resolves to give his dad some Christmas spirit to help him find his way. So Buddy and Papa Elf have a sentimental moment and Buddy heads to New York City. Now, there are also these three little puppets in a narwhal that say bye to him as he floats away on a little iceberg and treks super far <laughs> to New York City. At some point, he reaches civilization and he comes across a fat, mean raccoon that attacks him and already Buddy knows that he's not at the North Pole anymore. Now, eventually he makes it to the big city. Um, a super unrealistic trek, like super unrealistic, but we get a montage of him experiencing New York City for the first time when he gets there. And he has like a lot of wonder, right? Like this is literally culture shock for him, which is a really big part of this story, right? Of him experiencing things that he's never experienced before. And it's one thing to like come from a very homogenous environment where every day is Christmas and X, Y, and Z or whatever. And it's like, oh, if you went to like a rural countryside, that's one thing. But to have your first kind of real experience in the human world to be New York City is like a major culture shock because New York City is so busy and it's so different. And that's why all the movies happen there for Christmas, <laughs> apparently, I guess. So anyways, we, like I said, get a montage of him doing things like willingly taking flyers from people who are handing them out, getting his shoes shined, waving to people who are just hailing cabs, eating street ABC gum, which is disgusting against and it's against Santa's advice. Okay. And like repeatedly running through rotating doors. So we get to see him have this kind of experience similar to the experience that Macaulay Culkin's character had in Home Alone, just like a little more childish, which is so weird to say. It's very weird to say. But anyways, so he finally makes it to the Empire State Building and he's kind of makes it there because he was given a snow globe that had the Empire State Building in it. So he was able to identify the building where his father worked. And so he gets there and he experiences an elevator for the first time. So he, of course, pushes all of the buttons and he finally makes it to his dad's office. There was another man that was riding <laughs> riding the elevator and basically that man had to stop at every floor because <laughs> buddy pressed all the buttons and he had already gotten off the elevator it's actually a little funny it's funny but anyways he finally makes it to his dad's office the secretary who i believe her name is deb who is like a famous comedian and sibling of another famous comedian let me look that up real quick so I actually looked it up. Deb is played by Amy Sedaris, who is the sister of David Sedaris. Apparently, they're very popular comedians. I recognize her as Sharona's sister from Monk. Again, I'm a big fan of Monk. And she also played a really popular character whose name is escaping me right now. She was in Strangers with Candy and she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. She's actually a really funny lady and I enjoy her. Oh, she was also on like the Kimmy Schmidt 
show, something, the misadventures of Kimmy Schmidt or the adventures of Kimmy Schmidt, whatever she was on there in a few episodes as well. But I really like her. Anyways, the secretary Deb sends Buddy into Walter's office thinking that it's a joke or Christmas gram, but Buddy kind of makes up a song and tells him that like, you're my dad. It's like <laughs> Susan Wells was his mom and things get really weird. And at the end of the day, Buddy gets removed by security and he ends up getting hit by a taxi on his way to Gimbel's. I don't know if Gimbel's is real, but basically it's like a large department store. It's almost mall-like, but there he discovers perfume and Escalade which he does not know how to ride and normal sized toilets. So <laughs> that's more of a culture shock, right? And so he looks at lingerie for a little bit and he gets approached by a man who, I don't know if this man even has a name. I don't know that they ever actually say his name, but Faison Love is the manager of this Gimbel's department, maybe even the whole Gimbel store. And right now he's focusing on what they are calling like their North Pole section, which is like the Christmas spirit section where children can come and get, you know, photos with Santa and all that jazz. And so he kind of mistakes Buddy for an employee and is like, hey, you can't be looking at lingerie right now. You need to be over here in the North Pole. And of course, Buddy is like, this is not the North Pole, okay? But Santa is coming for pictures with the kids the next day. And while he's there, Buddy spots an employee decorating a tree and he finds her attractive. Her name is Jovi. She's played by a blonde Zoe Deschanel. And she comes across as the person who like isn't necessarily feeling the Christmas spirit. She's just here doing her job, just trying to make her money and go home, which, you know, I can't really blame her. Okay. And she's dressed as an elf. Buddy, though, is his normal cheery self and we get to see the contrast and this kind of tension between Jovi and her you know less than jovial self versus Buddy and who has like enough Christmas cheer to make the world go around right so also what kind of name is Jovi is it supposed to be a play on jovial I don't know I hate that name <laughs> that name sucks and then next thing we know, we get another montage, y'all. Buddy stays behind in Gimbel's after hours, making the North Pole section especially cheerful and beautiful. We flip over to Walter's home where he isn't eating dinner with his wife and son because he's flipping through a yearbook looking for Susan Wells, which is Buddy's mother. He ends up finding a pic of him and her in the yearbook and it looks like they were high school sweethearts. So when Buddy, back at Gimbel's, flips on the lights, the North pole and gimbals is beautiful and magical so he basically stayed up all night fixing up the place it actually looks really cute now he overhears jovi in a bathroom inside of gimbals singing baby it's cold outside so okay i'm gonna say this zoe de chanel i kind of don't care for her i used to watch new girl and i used to be into it but i just find her to be one of those people that like thinks being weird is a personality. <laughs> and I don't know, I won't say that about her as a person. I'll say that more about her as an actress. I actually find that her voice, including her singing voice, has like a Kermit quality to it. So even though what she was singing was melodic and kind of generally sounded good, Kermit could have been singing it. So <laughs> that's just, 
I don't want it to come across as me. That's just like, I feel like I'm, it's just matter of fact to me. It's not necessarily good or bad, but he joins her in singing this song. And at the time she's in the shower singing this. And he, at the end of the song, when both the male and female singers generally sing Baby It's Cold Outside together, he joins her. And that's when she's alerted to his presence. Baby, it's cold outside. So when she hears his voice, first off, I also want to point out that song is a little rapey. I'm hoping we can cancel that song at some point. It's cute. Like maybe let's change that rapey line in it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up the lyrics, okay? Something about her drink. But anyways, when she's alerted to his presence, she kind of peeks her head out of the curtains and she's like, what the heck is going on here? Can you get out? At first, I'm like, why is this lady showering at work? Why is she showering at work? That question is answered later on. But yes, she was, she was showering at work. But anyways, later, Walter passes by Gimbel's and sees Buddy sleeping in a window display. This was very weird. It was really strange. But Buddy tries to sneak past security at the Empire State Building, but he is tall and wearing an elf outfit. So he actually ends up getting caught. But he does ask security as they are carrying him out to deliver a present to his dad. And back at Gimbel's, Faison's character, who again has a name tag that says Wanda. So we're going to call Faison Wanda for the rest of the movie, which he doesn't really play a major role in the, <laughs> in the movie at all. But Wanda is so shocked by the enhanced decor in the North Pole. And Jovi sees Buddy in the store and calls him over to ask why he was in the women's locker room singing this morning. And he was like, I heard you singing and just, you know was drawn to you and she's like oh it had nothing to do with the fact that I was naked and he was like I didn't even know you were naked like he knows how to shower so I don't know how he didn't know that she was naked but whatever <laughs> so this is the point where we find out that she is showering in the gimbal's ladies locker room because the water at her apartment was cut off so she's having money troubles that really doesn't come back later but buddy says that he was there when nobody else was there because he redid the decor but this backfires a little bit because wanda feels like corporate sent someone to redo the decor and that person is gunning for his job so he's a little paranoid about it he doesn't see it as like the store looks more magical and more beautiful he is worried that someone is coming after his job <laughs> but buddy tells jovi that she is a good singer and when he spots the gimbal santa who really is just like a mall santa he starts interfering with the kids taking photos of him because it's not the real santa so buddy really takes the christmas stuff seriously and doesn't understand the magical wand of what it means to be a human celebrating Christmas and not actually being connected to the true Santa. But he ends up ripping off Santa's beard, revealing that he is not real. And they end up fighting and they end up destroying most of the hard work that Buddy put into these decorations. Finally, Wanda ends up tackling the fake Santa and the store full of kids and their parents watch in horror, basically. But I read 
in my research that this scene could only be done in one take because it would take so much to reset. Because one of the things that Buddy put together was like a whole Lego presentation of like the New York City buildings, like the Empire State Building and other buildings there as well. And those got destroyed in the fight. So they had to complete all of this in one take because ain't nobody got time to be rebuilding Lego sets and whatnot. So in the next scene, we head back over to Walter where he gets a gift from Buddy, the one that security, he gave to security when he was being carried out. Um, and it's a card with the picture of Walter and Susan from high school, along with some lingerie because the lingerie was intended for someone special and Buddy does not understand what lingerie means. <laughs> so yeah, Walter is at work when he gets a call from the police because he's in jail due to the assault on Santa, right? So Walter bails Buddy out and then hems Buddy up thinking that like, this is some kind of joke. Like who sent you? Like, why are you doing this to me? And Buddy just is like, has this idealistic view of what it means to meet and spend time with his father that he'd never really met before. And he wants to hold hands and build gingerbread houses and go ice skating. But Walter is just kind of like freaking out. Like all of this is weird. And the fact that he knew Susan's name when that wasn't really well known information lets him know that like there may be something to this so Walter does the smart thing and takes Buddy to the doctor where Buddy eats cotton balls which I don't know what it is about people eating inanimate objects that gives me like this nauseous feeling but in my research I found that it was actually like cotton candy that had not been dyed so it was actually <laughs> cotton candy and not cotton balls that he was eating but I just didn't like looking at him eating what looked like cotton balls okay um the doctor I also found is played by John Favreau, which is the director of the film. I did not know that. I've seen that man a lot and did not know his name. But yeah, that's John Favreau, the director of the movie. So they do a DNA test and in the waiting room, Buddy meets a little girl and they have this little cute conversation about what she wants for Christmas and blah, blah, blah. But then the doctor comes back to Walter in the same visit where is the speed DNA test coming from? Because it had to be like 30 minutes to an hour or something like this speed DNA test. Okay, y'all confirms that Buddy is indeed Walter's son and basically says like this guy needs to be nurtured. Like he is a little bit off, but he just needs some nurturing. Okay. And this elf situation will like go away. That's the doctor's advice. And Walter is like, nurture him. Like, should I breastfeed him? And it's like, okay, Walter is already out of touch with what it means to be a parent. So we learn more about that later. But basically the doctor says, take Buddy home, introduce him to, you know, his stepmom and his brother. And, you know, eventually he'll snap out of this elf stuff. Okay. And move on. That part was not so true, but it's doctor's advice. So Walter ends up telling his wife about Buddy before she has a chance to meet him. And she has a really positive attitude about it. She doesn't see it as a threat to their relationship or anything. She's just really super chill about it until 
Walter is like, mm. but Buddy kind of believes that he's an elf. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, no way. But when they get home, they find that their house has been spruced up with Christmas cheer and that he really does believe he is an elf. But we get to see some weird kind of habits from Buddy, who is super into sugar, which apparently is a large part of the elf diet. Buddy drinks a whole two liter of Coke in a few seconds and pulls out maple syrup out of his sleeve and pours it onto his spaghetti. He kind of uses it like hot sauce, which is hilarious. But apparently elves have four food groups, candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. Okay. Emily, who is Buddy's stepmother, offers their home to him as a place to stay and is really kinder about it than Walter. She's more open and welcoming. Walter's heart is closed. Okay. Very Grinch. Scrooge, you know, not really feeling the Christmas spirit, not really open to exploring what it means to have a son that you've never met before and really trying to get to know him. And so while Walter and Emily are kind of away talking, Buddy does this weird, awful long burp that is like hilarious if you're into, you know, bourbon fart humor. But then at nighttime, when it's time to go to bed, he calls Walter to tuck him in and tries to start a tickle fight. But of course, Walter ain't having it, okay? And when he tells Walter that he loves him, Walter is like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's the next day and Buddy makes spaghetti with maple syrup for Emily, his stepmom. Oh, yuck. Buddy made a rocking horse out of the entertainment center, which is also hilarious. Buddy had plans for what he wanted to do with Walter, but Walter has to go to work, okay? He's, you know, this is real life. People got stuff to do, okay? So Walter, oh, you know what? It would have been nice for Walter to take some time off to meet and interact with his new son. It would have been nice. Yeah. But Walter basically asked Buddy to get rid of his outfit. Like, you can't just walk around town looking like this. You're going to look ridiculous. And he's like, as soon as possible, you need to get rid of those tights. But then Emily walks in on him with his trousers down. <laughs> so this arrangement that they have is awkward and it's not ideal. And it's just a little bit strange, okay? But Buddy calls Walter as soon as he leaves his apartment building because he's scared of the radiator. And we see him eating the most sugariest spaghetti with tons of stuff in it. There's Pop-Tarts on it. There's chocolate syrup. There's candies. It looks awful. And like I said earlier, Will Ferrell actually had to eat this. But at work, Walter is approached by his boss, the owner of the printing company. I didn't mention this earlier, but I'll talk about it now. There was a decision that Walter made earlier in the movie to not correct a printing error in a children's book. And that children's book had like two pages missing. So the story didn't make sense. Either the story didn't make sense or the story never ended properly because the last two pages were left blank. So instead of reprinting the books and publishing them correctly, Walter signed off on just them distributing the incomplete book. And so his boss, Mr. Greenway, who is the owner of like the printing company comes to him and he's like, you signed off on this and we need a new book to be published quarter one because like our quarter is down by eight points and I'm not having it. So I'm going to come back on Christmas Eve and I need you to pitch me a plan to create and publish a new book that we can get off the ground and out the doors on Q1. So Walter made a mistake at work and there's a lot of pressure for him to turn things around. So Buddy 
ends up meeting up with Michael, who is his little brother, when Michael gets out of school. But Michael's really kind of embarrassed by Buddy. He's a grown man, 30-year-old man at that, who's wearing an elf costume, okay? But Buddy almost gets hit by a car again while he's... <laughs> While he's trying to, you know, bond with and connect with Michael. And as they are walking home, Buddy keeps asking Michael a bunch of questions. And Michael just really just kind of isn't having it. He thinks that Buddy is weird. But then suddenly, Buddy and his brother are in the middle of a snowball war. Like people are just attacking them with snowballs, right? And they finally get to an area where they are kind of safe, but still like in the line of fire. So Buddy is like, we can take them. And he makes an ungodly amount of snowballs really, really fast. And then he throws them really, really fast and really, really accurately annihilating their attackers and building a bond with his little brother. So this was an opportunity for them to do something together, to survive a challenge together. These people that were throwing these snowballs, I feel like were supposed to be kids. I feel like a few of them were grown men. They look big to me. They look like grown men. They need to get their lives, okay? They need to, <laughs> they need to grow up. So next up, they head over to Gimbal's where we get our fourth montage. What is with the montages? What's with them, okay? But anyways, we get a little montage of the two brothers hanging out together, causing mischief in the store. They're in the elevator jumping up and down. And this is when Buddy is shocked to hear that Walter really isn't a good dad from Michael's perspective. They decide to head to Gimbel's North Pole where they see Jovi. And Michael suggests that because Buddy likes her, that he should take her out on a date. We also find out that Gimbel's has a restraining order. <laughs> against Buddy and that Wanda is the new Santa. But he ends up setting up a date with Jovi based on Michael's recommendation. And he does a good job of asking her out, even though it's a little bit awkward. So yeah, I think I enjoy it when men fight through like the nervousness of asking someone out on a date. I think that's really cute. But anyways, we find that Buddy cut down a tree in the park and brings it home to decorate at Walter's house. And little Michael is just super into it. He's actually really happy. He's really engaged. He's excited about the Christmas holiday. And so Walter talks to Emily privately and Walter is upset. He's like, he cut down a tree in the park. He's committing felonies. He's just kind of finding anything to be upset with Buddy about. And so Emily points out like, hey, Walter, you haven't really been a good dad to Michael. And at least Michael is happy with his new big brother who's, you know, out here showing him the ropes and like bringing some Christmas cheer. And there's also like a funny scene where Buddy tries to run and jump to get the star on the tree and it ends up falling over. That's pretty funny. But then Emily and Walter argue over where Buddy is supposed to go because they left him home to his own devices. He cut down a tree in the park. He hassled Michael. He, you know, ate a bunch of spaghetti and weird stuff like we can't leave him here in our house. We don't know what kind of trouble he's going to get into. Okay. And so Emily's like, I have stuff to do. How about you take? 
take him to work, okay? <laughs> and so Buddy does go into work with Walter the next day and he even dresses like Walter. There is no elf outfit. It is a grown man kind of, you know, suit and tie situation. So Buddy kind of chills in the corner while Walter works. But when Buddy screws up a phone call, Walter gets the idea to send Buddy down to the mailroom. So the mailroom is this kind of grungy, large room. I'm assuming it's in a basement. There don't appear to be any windows. The lighting is awful. It has a lot of bigger men who appear to have possibly done time before. There's rap music playing. It's not really Santa's workshop. That's the impression I get is that's what he thought it was going to be. But apparently this day is December 23rd and Mr. Greenway, the boss of Walter's printing company, is coming in tomorrow to hear Walter's pitch on how to fix that printing mistake. OK, what new book are we going to publish? OK, so we can bring up the profits back. OK, whatever. So his employees... Walter's employees pitch bringing in a different writer to produce a new story. And this writer is named Miles Finch. Apparently he's really good at coming up with children's stories and whatever, whatever. So down in the mailroom, Buddy mistakes alcohol for syrup and accidentally gets drunk. So the guy in the mailroom who got him drunk, they're there just having a drunk conversation and he claims to be 26 years old. And I was like, stop this foolery. No way that man was 26. That man won 36. He might have been early 40s. Where does he get off saying he's 26? I know he's supposed to be drunk, but I, he wasn't that drunk. There wasn't that much alcohol in that bottle to get him that drunk to where he thought he was 26. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. They end up doing tickle fights and whatnot. Just buddy, even drunk has this infectious way of impacting people, right? So right as Walter is on the phone trying to secure Miles Finch to come in and pitch them this new story, Deb, the secretary, alerts him to an issue in the mailroom, which causes them to almost lose Miles Finch, right? So once again, Buddy is kind of messing up stuff for Walter. Miles does agree to still come in though, so that's a positive. But Buddy is down in the mailroom dancing to whoop, there it is, whoop. There it is. The dancing to me is hilarious because it's clearly like a little bit animated. It almost feels like Will Ferrell might be attached to a pulley or something because his movements seem unnatural. For whatever reason, it kind of reminds me of like the animation on Missy Elliott's Gossip Folks, like that music video. But it was just a ridiculous scene, but it's just another indication to show that like even drunk elf or buddy rather, buddy is has this infectious impact on people where he can just kind of rally everyone around him and like just spread his Christmas joy and Christmas spirit. But in the next scene, Buddy and Jovi go on their date and he takes her around to a few places that he discovered on his first day in New York City. These are all like kind of not things that a normal person would want to do or see. <laughs> But she takes him to Rockefeller Center to see like the really big Christmas tree and they ice skate together and they end up kissing. So they actually really like each other. And once again, Buddy's kind of infectious nature helps him at least romantically in this instance. So the next day, which is Christmas Eve, Miles Finch enters Walter's workplace. He is played by Peter Dinklage, who we all know is a little person. And Miles is ready to help them publish this new book when Buddy 
Buddy kind of bursts in calling Miles an elf. Now, as Buddy starts to question how Miles made it from the North Pole, Miles becomes more angry and insulted, thinking that because he is a little person, he's actually being made fun of by Buddy. And I'm not sure if this scene particularly held up, but I feel like I understand the spirit of what's happening in this scene. And because of how the scene unfolds, we might consider it non-problematic. I don't know. I don't think I'm in the best space to say whether or not this scene holds up, but I feel like it's at least on the borderline. But after Buddy kind of like unknowingly continues to piss Miles off about the elf insinuations. Miles proceeds to beat Buddy up and then he ends up leaving. Walter, of course, gets mad because like literally the pitch that he has to do for Mr. Greenway is that night and Buddy just kind of ruined his last chance to make sure that he has a pitch ready for his boss. And so Walter gets really pissed off and he's like, I don't care about you. I don't care that you're my son. I want you out of my life. And so so Buddy leaves in a huff and Walter seems like a complete butthole, okay? But we end up seeing that Miles left his notebook behind where he keeps all of his ideas and Walter's employees are gonna have to work late to pull something together for the pitch and they only have like 45 minutes to do it. But because Miles left his notebook, they're gonna use some of his little ideas or whatever to like put something together with like glue and scotch tape, okay? So... Now, so a distraught buddy heads back to the house where he uses his insane edge sketch skills to write a letter about how sorry he is and how he doesn't fit into the human or elf world and how he just doesn't belong anywhere. So unfortunately, buddy is just kind of down in the dumps about what his life has resorted to and, you know, how going to see his father really just kind of doesn't go well for him. But later on in the pitch meeting, Michael barges in because he he found the note that Buddy had on the Etch-a-Sketch saying, you know, Buddy ran away, like we need to do something. And Walter is like, hey, like if we can finish this meeting and I'll be, you know, we'll go and look for him or whatever. Michael is like, you are so selfish. Buddy cares about everybody. You don't care about anybody. And he gets ready to storm out. But then Walter kind of has a change of heart and he is forced with the decision because Mr. Greenway is there and ready to listen to the pitch. And his son is saying, we need to go look for my brother. So he literally has to choose between his job and his children. And he tells Mr. Greenway, up yours. And he leaves with Michael to go and find Buddy. So Walter, for the first time, made a decision to choose. Is it for the first time? I guess. Kind of for the first time, made like an active decision to choose Buddy and to do the right thing. So Buddy is on a bridge. It's possibly the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know all the bridges in New York, whatever. And at first I was like, are we supposed to assume that he was going to try and off himself or is he just in this space to reflect? Like, I don't know what we were supposed to assume from him being on this bridge. But anyways, as he's on the bridge, he sees Santa's sleigh going down and run towards it. So Buddy gets to Santa first and his sleigh unfortunately has crashed to the ground not damaging the sleigh, of course, but the claw, the clausometer. I don't know why I'm having a hard time saying clausometer because I really want to say clausometer. 
<laughs> we learned that the clausometer dropped to zero right when he was like in the area of New York. How fortunate. But what it sounds like is because Buddy was so down in the dumps, the Christmas spirit meter went to zero. So it seems like whatever the clausometer was reading it before, I think it was like 20% or whatever, it was all buddy because of like how much he really believed and how much he really embodied the spirit of Christmas. So anyways, Santa enlists Buddy to help fix the engine because if you remember, Buddy was Papa Elf's apprentice and Papa Elf invented the engine. So the incident makes the news because a lot of people saw something fall from the sky and a pretentious newsman shows footage of Elf walking through the park after a little girl says that Santa's sleigh fell from the sky. So this newscast catches the attention of Jovi. And so Walter, Mike and Buddy meet up in Central Park and Walter apologizes and says that he loves Buddy and they actually hug each other. And Jovi is like, I need to get down there to help them, I guess. And we find out that, you know, people have kind of cleared out the Central Park area and the Central Park Rangers have been called in. They ride on horses. They appear to be really trigger happy whenever they're called into action because they don't see action very often. And they are going to be a problem for Santa. And so Buddy brings his dad and brother to meet Santa and to help fix the sleigh. And when Michael gets his gift, from Santa, the clausometer goes up and the sleigh flies a little bit. And so Santa explains to little Michael that like Christmas spirit is what makes this machine fly, right? And so Michael is like, oh, more people need to know about you and know about this so we can get like this Christmas spirit going off the charts or whatever. And so the Central Park Rangers actually find them and Buddy has an idea. It kind of doesn't work, but <laughs> Michael takes Santa's list to the press and starts reading from it. And so as people are watching this news being casted, the clausometer ends up going up some from people watching and realizing Santa is real and he knows what I want. Like he knows what's on my list, right? If you're on the good list. And so Jovi and Emily show up in the area around the same time. And because the Rangers are coming, Buddy isn't able to really finish the engine in time. So Santa has to make a quick getaway because like the Central Park Rangers apparently are mad about being on the naughty list. And so they actually have to repair the engine while being chased. <laughs> and so Jovi decides to start singing near like where the news is casting or whatever, wherever the press is. And so she's singing Santa Claus is coming to town because she remembers that the best way to spread cheer is to sing loud for all to hear, which is one of like the top three rules for elves, right? And so the crowd joins in with her and right as the engine starts to work, it ends up getting knocked off, meaning that the only way for the sleigh to actually fly is with Christmas cheer only because it doesn't have the booster from that engine. And so they, of course, fall back to the ground. And when Michael confronts Walter for not actually singing, Walter starts singing. And right then the clausometer hits 100 and Santa and Buddy fly off in front of the crowd. And people literally are able to see Santa and Buddy fly away in the sleigh. And so I think that kind of 
Christmas spirit that's going around in that moment of actually seeing Santa and actually experiencing that has helped to get Santa Claus around the world, at least for that night. (laughs) And so Buddy is also able to see that Jovi is there singing and help bringing, you know, the Christmas spirit as well. So interestingly enough, the camera person does not capture Santa flying off. So only the people who really know about it are the people who were there and present at that time and actually witnessed it, which I find very interesting. But it's later on, you know, that scene is over. The family, including Jovi, start exchanging gifts. And then we get the, this is where everyone ended up speech, right? Like Walter started his own publishing company where he published a children's book about Buddy's life, a fictional story about Buddy's life. And we see Buddy reading the book to children. And Buddy wrote the book himself, which is nice. And then we see Buddy who goes to visit Papa Elf every once in a while. And he is at his house with Jovi and their little baby Susie. And so the movie ends and it's a really happy ending, y'all. It's a cute little movie. So that's it, y'all. At the end of every movie review, we ask if it's worth a rewatch and if it holds up today. And for me, the answer is yes and yes. I found the movie to be fun and funny, and I actually can understand why people think it's iconic. But personally, I don't feel the type of fondness for this film that the general public feels. But I also get it. It's a well-written story about a man who was adopted by elves and who goes to find his real family and experience his culture shock in New York City and literally revives his spirit of Christmas all while falling in love. It's actually a really well-told story. And I really like that about the film. Everything makes sense. Pretty much everything makes sense. There are only a few loopholes that kind of like, why didn't Santa take him back to the orphanage? Like some of that kind of stuff, like <laughs> that doesn't necessarily matter. But overall, I enjoyed rewatching this movie. I will admit I'm not a huge fan of Will Ferrell or Zoe Deschanel, but the story is really endearing. And I really enjoy characters who have the type of like hopeful optimism that Buddy has. I'm really drawn to those type of characters. But yeah, I get why other people love it, but I just can't see myself watching it every year. If it's on, like, yeah, I'll watch it. Like, it's just okay to me. I will say that the Peter Dinklage scene might not have aged well but because I'm not super well versed on what it means to have that type of viewpoint or understanding from like a little person's viewpoint on what this scene means to them I don't think it really is my place to say you know definitively that it didn't age well I'm just it's one of those things where it's a gray area for me in particular but everything else in this movie besides that feels pretty much like it aged well. Again, this movie is like, I enjoyed it, but it's just okay. And I can't fault people for really liking it. My dad's side of the family will probably have a little bit of a fit when they hear my opinion on this, but I'm going to stick to it. Okay. The movie is just okay. On Rotten Tomatoes, Elf was given a critic score of 86 and an audience score of 79. I don't really have an issue with those ratings. I think that What I'm experiencing when it comes to this movie is kind of like apathy, which is I typically try to avoid. Like I literally could take or leave this movie. (laughs) Like it was a fun watch, but like I said, I just don't feel like the fondness or the closeness that other people feel for it. And that's okay. 
So thanks so much for tuning into the first 2024 episode of Submeeting Reviews, where I reviewed Elf. Did you rewatch this movie recently? Does it hold up for you? Please share your thoughts on our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We want to hear from you. I'm so looking forward to seeing where the new year takes Submeeting Reviews. Join us next time when I review Cool Runnings. You don't want to miss it. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.